Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your great grace that's upon not only this ministry, but that great grace that's upon every one of our lives in Jesus' name. Father, I want to thank you that you increase us in our ability to expect good things from you. And you do that because of the word. You do that through testimonies like Steve was talking about. You, you just do that through uh, the worship music. You do that so many different ways. You're unlimited in your capacities and your abilities to provide for us and to teach us things, Lord Jesus, and just to display all your handiwork and all of your goodness. Father, we thank you for the splendor of the King, Lord Jesus himself robed in majesty. Lord Jesus, we bless you today. And that's what we've come here to do today. We've come here to lift up Jesus. We've come up here to lift up God today. We've come to lift you up, Daddy. And this ministry is a ministry to always make our Daddy and our Jesus look good, and the Holy Spirit as well. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for your, your function in our lives. We thank you that you are everything to us, Lord Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may have saw the message title this morning, Blind Man Seeing. As I began to read in Matthew chapter 20, I began to see that the last miracle that Jesus did on his way to that triumphal entry is he caused a couple of blind men to see. He was already on the journey. But as I began to look at that miracle of the healing of those two blind men, I thought, how precious of a story is that? And as I began to look at Mark's version and Luke's version and all the different places in the New Testament, you know what I found out? That the healing of a blind man was probably the most common. It actually is. It's the most common of Jesus' miracles. In other words, if you start counting all the people that throughout his ministry that received their sight, that happened on more occasions than any other class of miracle. So there's something really precious about the Lord giving us eyes to see. This is not Jesus' last miracle. His last miracle would come the night before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter decided to play, you know, play with his sword that night and cut somebody's ear off. But you know, and Jesus had to restore his ear. And I'm, I'm just thinking, that is so crazy that Peter would do something like that. As we open up this story out of Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 17, verses 17 through 19, we see these words. And Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And he said, And the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of the chief priests and scribes. They shall condemn him to death, and they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and to scourge and to crucify him. But then we bring in that conjunction, that word but, and I love it. It belongs right there. But on the third day, <laughs> he shall rise again. We have this long list of things they're going to do to our Savior. Bad stuff. Stuff that should not be done to any human being. Let's look at him again. He's going to be betrayed into the hands of chief priests, the religious system. He's going to be condemned to death. He's going to be delivered to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged. And Mark in chapter 10, verse 34, when he talks about this story, you know what he says? He said he's also going to be spit upon. And I want to tell you something. When I was studying for this, I thought about this. Growing up in school, I've said this before, but I was a bully magnet. I went to, and I went to 30 or 40 different schools in my life. We moved all the time. I didn't cause any trouble. 
I was a magnet to bullies, and that's probably why. They want to pick on people they can, that won't fight back usually. Oh, I learned how to fight. I'm telling you, I learned how to fight. You don't know I learned how to fight. <laughs> anyway, I thought about this. For a long time, I took the mocking. I took the being jeered at and sneered at and, and mocked at and all the little names that they would call me in school growing up. I took that. I thought, you know what? I can, I can handle that. I've heard that before. And I took getting pushed around, pushed around. Sometimes sock, beat up a little bit on stuff like that. You got me to my threshold, you better watch it. <laughs> You're in trouble then. But I thought about what Mark said in chapter 10, verse 34, that they spit upon him. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. They spit in his face when they spit on him. You know, you can call me a name, and you can maybe even punch me. But there's something about it when someone spits on you. That would have been a tough one for me to watch right there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, if, if you got any claws, they'd come out right about then. But on the third day, the Bible says, he shall rise again. And Dallas Holmes' song, Rise Again, dropped into my heart a day or two ago. He said it so perfectly when he said, go ahead, drive the nails in my hand. Laugh at me where you stand. Go ahead and say it isn't me. The day will come when you will see, because I'll rise again. Ain't no power on earth can tie me down. Yes, I'll rise again. Death can't keep me in the ground. Go ahead. Mock my name. My love for you is still the same. Go ahead and bury me. But very soon, I will be free because I'll rise again. Ain't no power on earth can tie me down. Yes, I'll rise again. Death can't keep me in the ground. Go ahead and say I'm dead and gone. But you will see that you were wrong. <laughs> Go ahead and try to hide the sun. But all will see that I'm the one because I'll come again. There ain't no power on earth can keep me back. Yes, I'll come again. Come to take my people back. See, Jesus was always talking about, I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to rise again. Every time he said that to the disciples, it's like they weren't even listening, like they were totally tuned out because they didn't even really talk about it. Jesus said it so well, but on the third day, I will rise again. So I toggled this message between blind man seeing and I'll rise again. And I said, okay, wife, I'll let you do that next week. We're talking about blind men seeing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. There's more than one way to be blind. He's talking about people that can see, but they're unbelievers. So the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. I, here's what it says. So that they cannot see. It's not just that they will not. The Bible says when the enemy blinds your mind, you cannot see. As much as you want to see, you cannot see what? The light of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. You cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. <laughs> Can I see? We're in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, where we open. Let's drop down about 10 verses, and we see these words beginning in verse 29. Now watch what happens on this 
short journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. So it's not just the disciples, but it's a multitude of people. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, I don't know how they heard it, but they heard it. I mean, blind men will get the news sometimes a whole lot quicker than people that can see. Because they're in tune with what they're hearing. Sometimes I think the eyeballs can be a little bit of a distraction for us because we're processing all these things and getting distracted. But they heard that Jesus was about to pass by. And what was their response? The Bible says, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked the blind men. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? Here's blind men that are crying out for the Lord, and the religious people, they got so religious that day, they rebuked those blind men. The Bible says, because they should hold their peace. But you know what their response was? The Bible says they cried all the more. <laughs> I love relentless people. They cried all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. It doesn't tell us who these blind men were in Matthew's account. But when you jump over into Mark, and we're going to go there in just a minute, in Mark's account in chapter 10, he does name one of them. And it's none other than blind Bartimaeus. I know you've heard of him. It's blind Bartimaeus. It's the exact same story in Mark. You'll see his version. I love Mark's version even more so. It's blind Bartimaeus. So when blind Bartimaeus said, Lord, have mercy on us. Do you know that word mercy? The root word of mercy is the very same word where we get the word olive oil. And as I began to look at him, I'm like, Lord, I don't get the connection. Mercy and olive oil. What's the connection? And then I realized, because I realized when I had preached the message before about the perfume that was put on Jesus, I realized they didn't use water as the base element for perfume. They would use olive oil. And they would mix in. I mean, you just can't throw in a bunch of dry flowers and roots and stuff like that and have something that's going to last you very long. Today, when you put the, the perfume on it, and it's got a water base to it, it dries very quickly. But can you imagine when it was full of oil? That scent would have just been lingering. Mm, that fragrance would have just been rising. And so olive oil was actually the base that they used to make all their medicines, their balms, their healing ointments and everything like that. They would use that. So basically when Bartimaeus was crying out, he was saying, Lord, he wasn't just saying, have mercy on us. He was saying, Lord, heal me. Lord, heal me is what he was saying. He knew exactly what he was saying. How many times have you heard his grace is getting what we don't deserve and mercy is not getting what we do deserve? Have you ever heard that? There was always something inside of me that just said, there's something missing there. I, I get what you're trying to say. I mean, I deserve death, I deserve hell, and I didn't get it. That's mercy. I, I totally get that. But it's so much bigger than that. When God says mercy, he's literally saying, listen, I want to heal you in every area of your life. I'm compassionate because that's where healing begins with. If God was not a compassionate God, if he was not a merciful God, there would be no healing. Would you agree with that? Because the Bible always talks about Jesus was moved with compassion, and he healed them all. Let's look at Mark's account of those same blind men. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, 
as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, it says, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now the fact that Mark left out two blind men doesn't change the fact that there were two blind men. It just wasn't what he was recording at the time. He wanted to talk about the man that was crying out, and that was Bartimaeus. When they were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus! Now he's got his name. In Matthew, he didn't say anything about Jesus, just called him Lord, Son of David, and stuff like that. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Same words. And then the Bible says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. What did I say that means? Son of David, heal me, is what he was saying. Jesus stopped and said, call him. <laughs> oh, something's about to happen. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Do you remember we've talked about Tommy Barnett saying when he says, you see a need, fill it. You see a hurt and heal it. Jesus saw the need that day. Do you think he's going to pass by on that need? It's impossible. There's no way he could have passed by on that opportunity. He could have said, you know, wait a minute, you know what? I've got agenda. I've got to be at a certain place at a certain time. No, that's not, never the heartbeat of God. I love what he says. He said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Now watch what they say to the blind man. Cheer up. See those two words? Cheer up. <laughs> on your feet he's calling you this is a change of attitude isn't it and it, it's probably just religion but I mean the same group that told him to shut up a few minutes ago are now telling him cheer up <laughs> because Jesus is involved you see that's what religion religion this is the difference between religion and relationship religion quite often will tell you to shut up it will man I mean, we were growing up, I'm telling you what, man, if you broke out any Wrigley Spearmint gum in church, man, you were going to hell in a handbasket. You know what I'm saying? You did not get up and go to the bathroom when they were having an altar call either, because that made it look like you weren't saved. And that's why you were going to the bathroom. I mean, there's just so much religion in church. The difference between religion and relationship, relationship says, lift up, get up, cheer up. <laughs> religion would just say, shut up quiet up. Would you like your ministry to change overnight? Would you like it to change overnight? This is how you can do it, basically. Be good to people. It's so simple, isn't it? Be good to people. Your ministry will change overnight. If you purpose in your heart, everywhere you go, to be good to people. Express so many different ways. Be good to people. Love people everywhere you go. I'll tell you what, you think the bully... It's got a magnet. You'll be that magnet just by loving people because love never fails. I was sitting in a subway having lunch earlier this week and I was staring out the window as I was eating. I saw a man drive in. He had three children in his car. Another man drove in, kind of an elderly gentleman. What I later began to see is I made the connection was that's probably the grandfather. There's the dad. Here's the three kids. And it looked like this was probably the middle point. He was dropping the kids off to go stay with grandpa for a little while, probably on Easter, over Easter break. And when grandpa got out of the vehicle, I saw two teenage girls, like 12 and 14, 12, 13, 14, 15, something like that, run across the parking lot to their grandpa. 
And I watched him put his arms around those two girls and just begin to kiss them. I mean, kiss them left and right. He must have kissed each one eight or ten times. And he wouldn't let go of them. He was swinging them. And they loved every minute of it. He was just loving those girls up, kissing them. Be good to people. Your ministry will change overnight. Love people. Your ministry will change overnight. And the little boy must have been sleeping because he came along about five minutes later. Finally, you know, a little boy, you know, wakes up and he sees grandpa and he, he kind of trots over to grandpa, you know, and grandpa does the same thing to him, just loving him left and right. Be good to people. Your ministry will change. It's that simple. In Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 36, we see these words. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. Now watch what he's about to say in verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Are you anointed with the Holy Spirit? You bet you are. Are you anointed with power? You better believe you're anointed with power. The Bible says that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power. And let's see what the result of being anointed with the Holy Ghost and power happened. And how he went around doing good. See what I mean? How he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Verse 39 says, We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. I love that. He raised him from the dead and he said, listen, I've got, I've got something to show you. This is so much bigger than show and tell. You ain't got nothing you can bring to school that's going to be like this. I've got someone to show you. Oh, man. And caused him to be seen. As we make our ministry a ministry, I'm talking individually now here, uh, a ministry to be good to people, God will cause him, Jesus, to be seen by the very same people that you're ministering to. He's going to cause his glory and his goodness to be seen. The Bible says it's the goodness of the Lord. It's the goodness of the Lord. It's the goodness of the Lord that causes people to change their mind. Well, they use that word repent. But it's the goodness of the Lord that causes people to repent. Jesus was always looking for opportunities, and opportunities were always looking for Jesus. <laughs> Just the way it worked. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Now, in the book of Mark, there's a detail here that's so important. Matthew left it out, but oh man, I love Mark's version. Here it is. Throwing his cloak aside, and we'll come back to that in a second. Can you imagine what that looks like? Now, he wasn't sitting on the side of the road with his cloak, his coat, his garment over his knees. He had it on. So that means when they called him, he rose up and he took his coat off and slung it aside. Do you think God's Word is filled with details just to be filler words? Or do you think there's a, a lesson in there for us? <laughs> he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, said Jesus. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. 
You know, sometimes I think we just beat around the bush too much. He didn't do that, though, did he? He just said, listen, rabbi, which means teacher, good master. He said, I want to see. I want to be able to see. Now watch the awesome prayer that Jesus is about to pray. You want a model prayer? Watch this awesome prayer. Here it comes. Because if Jesus did it and we did it, the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. That means if he did it and it worked for him, it will work for us. Are you ready for his prayer? The man just said, I want to see. Here's his prayer. Go! That's it. That's all he said. He said, go! He said, your faith has healed you. Did you notice there weren't any lightning bolts from heaven? There weren't any tornadoes. There weren't any earthquakes. There weren't any fires. There was just a simple word from Jesus that said, go. Your faith has healed you. And I heard the Lord say, and I've known this, but everything we need has already been deposited on the inside of us. Everything we need for life and godliness has already been deposited on the inside of us. Jesus said, it was your faith that did this. I didn't even do this. Your faith has made you whole. It's come into contact with my daddy. Yes, he's the one who releases the power, the glory, the anointing, the healing, the salvation. Yes, he's the one who does it. But he says, your faith has healed you. And the Bible says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the side of the road. You know, it's an amazing thing. Here's a guy that's probably never seen the light of day. Never seen the light of day. And his first image was Christ. You start talking to a blind man, I'll bet you he could reach out and touch your nose. Because they know exactly where that's coming from. So I'm going to imagine as he's standing before Jesus. And Jesus is having this short dialogue with him. The first thing he does when he receives his sight is he's looking right into the master's loving eyes. How precious is that? I'm going to tell you something. I heard the Lord say, we can't have our eyes on the church. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not that we take our eyes completely off the church. When we've got issues, when, we've, when we're trying to fall in love with Jesus, don't put it on the church. The church will disappoint you. <laughs> I'm telling you, the church is the one that hung him up. The church will disappoint you at times. It was Christ. It was Christ alone that he saw when he opened his eyes and he fell immediately in love with a man. Because you know he did because the Bible says he followed him. I heard the story several years ago of a man that had a tumor on his throat. And they were going to have to remove this tumor. And the doctor basically gave him that, I've got the good news and I've got the bad news for you. The good news is we believe we can do a surgical procedure to remove that tumor. The bad news is you'll never speak another word the rest of your life. He said, but it will save your life. The man decided to have the surgery. And he told the anesthesiologist, as I'm going under, he said, will you please let me know when I have just 30 seconds left before I go to sleep? He said, yes, I'll, I'll let you know. And as he administered the, the drugs to put him under, and he said, you have about 30 seconds. And this is the way he went to sleep. Jesus. 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 The last words he would ever get to speak. And he wanted it to be that precious name of Jesus. So I can only imagine as I was thinking about this man, when he opens his eyes for the first time, he sees our Savior. Someone who loves him. Someone that has power. Someone that 
could do something for him that doctors couldn't do. Someone that was so awesome. Bartimaeus had on what was called a beggar's coat. And I want you to know something this morning. That beggar's coat was everything to Bartimaeus. It was the only way he could live. He couldn't get a job. This was a beggar's coat. His coat was actually issued by the government of the day. The government that was in place, which is a, was a limited government compared to our government today, gave him that coat. But what that coat did is it entitled him. It gave him the license, if you will, to be able to sit beside the road and beg. I know people do that today, and they can see. But back then, you had to be legally blind in order for the government to issue that, that kind of a coat. And the Bible says, throwing his garment aside, throwing his coat aside, I'm going to tell you how significant that is. That would be like you throwing away your Social Security check and benefits. That would be faith. <laughs> that would be like me throwing away my Social Security card. I can't work without my Social Security card. It would be like you throwing away your driver's license. We just wouldn't think of doing that. His government, bailout if you will, made him eligible to collect alms on the side of the road. See, today, blind men wear glasses, sunglasses. They've got the red and white cane. They've got the C and I dog. They've got all these provisions. But back then, they didn't have any of that stuff. All they had was a beggar's coat. When blind Bartimaeus discarded his coat, he was making a bold declaration. He was basically saying, I will no longer be in need of this coat. And I guarantee it probably wasn't five seconds when he was gone, somebody already had that coat. So you didn't let go of your coat. He was saying, I've come to Jesus, and I've been healed, and I'll no longer be dependent upon my government or the help of man. I'll no longer be beside the road begging I've become dependent upon the Lord Jesus alone. And so what began to happen with blind Bartimaeus is he began this identity change. He was no longer going to be called blind Bartimaeus. He was just plain old Bartimaeus now. <laughs> you know, our identity change should be so obvious. We shouldn't talk like the world. You know, the world gets up and, and they, they look at each day differently than, than we should look at our day. I mean, I get up every morning. I can't think of any morning I don't get up and go, good, good morning, Lord. I mean, just the way I do it. <laughs> I'll be walking through the kitchen. I, first thing, even before I get to my chair, good morning, Lord. Other people wake up and say, good Lord, morning. <laughs> you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. We can wake up and say, listen, I've had an identity change. I've got the joy of the Lord working in my life. I've got the master loving me all day long. Neurologist Oliver Sacks tells about Virgil. He was a man that was 50 years old. He had been blind from early childhood. And he underwent surgery, and he was given the gift of sight. But as Dr. Sacks found out, having the physical capacity for sight is not the same thing as seeing I know that tricks our mind when we hear that. Having the physical capacity for sight is not the same as seeing. Virgil's first experiences with sight were confusing. He was able to make out colors. He was able to make out images. He was able to make out certain things. But arranging them into some co uh, coherent motion picture was a lot more challenging for him. Over the time, he learned to be able to identify certain objects. But his habits and his behaviors were still those of a blind man. Think about that for a second. 
He had been blind so long. Now he can see, but his habits and his behaviors are still that of a blind man. And as I was thinking about that story, unfortunately, that's where a big part of the, the church is today. They're stuck like that. They cannot see the gospel of the finished work of the cross. They cannot see this gospel of grace because religion has indelibly inscribed into their minds. It's all about works. It's all about performance. They have this mentality of servanthood and not sonship. Friends, listen, see yourself as a son. See yourself as a daughter. Quit looking at yourself as a servant of the Most High. God did not want servants. He's got angels for servants, believe me. He's looking for sons and daughters. He's not interested in servants. This man was trapped in a blind man's behavior and habit of feeling their way through life. And I thought about that. Blind people do that. They feel their way through life. They feel their way. Baby, babies taste their way through life. Everything in a baby has got to go in its mouth. It's got to figure out, do I like this? Do I want this? Everything for a baby, mouth, tasting. Blind man feels his way through life. But I want to tell you something. The believer should faith their way through life. And that's exactly what Bartimaeus did. He laid his feelers aside and he stepped out in faith. And you know what? I can only believe that there was this faith in the atmosphere, this smell coming up into the nostrils of Jesus. I bet he could sense that. I mean, they say a horse and a dog can sense when you're afraid of them. And I believe Jesus could sense there's faith in the atmosphere somewhere. Who is it? Who is it? <laughs> it didn't take very long for him to say, Lord, have mercy on me. That's why Thomas is referred to as Doubting Thomas is because he refused to believe. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus comes and meets with the disciples. Thomas is the only one missing. And when he comes back, Jesus is already gone and they, they say to him, Thomas, you missed it. Jesus was here. No, he wasn't here. I'm not going to believe it, he said, unless I stick my finger in his hands and in his feet and I see the scars and I thrust my hand into his side, is what they said. That's not faith. That is not faith. And that's not what blind Bartimaeus was operating in. He was operating in the unseen. I think sometimes we need to close our eyes more often, don't you? Amen. Too many people are wearing the beggar's coat today. They're crying out for God to do for them what he's already done. Now, I know I can step on toes when I do this. You've got to hear my heart on this thing, okay? When I first got saved, we began to sing that song, Create in me a clean heart, O God. That's one of the ones I always remember. And I bet you every time I sang that song, without fail, I would weep. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thine Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Oh, it had such a catchy melody to it. I loved that song. But when I began to get the message of grace, I, I began to go, oh, there's just something wrong with that. You see, I'm not on the side of the road as a beggar anymore. With a couple of coins in my cup, my cup is running over. Psalm 23 says, my cup runneth over. And so you say, Mark, what's wrong with that song? Everything, pretty much. David sang it, didn't he? He sure did. Psalm 51. You say, David was the apple of God's eye, wasn't he? He sure was. The Bible says he was. 
You say, David's a type of Christ, isn't he? He sure is. Well, then what's the problem? The problem is David was under the old covenant. That's the problem. You and I are not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant, the covenant of grace. There was a total change. A total change. If we could get that one concept and really get it down big time, I'm going to tell you something that would change your life drastically. It would change your ministry. It would change everything. It would change your family. It will. Sometimes we sing the wrong song. Sometimes we pray the wrong prayers. Sometimes we make the wrong declarations. Imagine this is my refrigerator. And I walk over to my refrigerator and I open it up and I get something out I want to eat. And then I say to myself, Mark, is it okay for you to eat that? Wouldn't that sound ridiculous? If I had to ask myself for permission to eat what's already mine, wouldn't that be crazy? Every time I went to the refrigerator, that's what we're doing a lot of times. In the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the declarations we make, we keep asking God to do for us what He's already done for us. He's already created a clean heart in me. He's already renewed a right spirit in with me. He'll never cast me away from His presence. He'll never forsake me. He's already given me the joy of salvation. Why do I keep, why do I want to keep asking him for all those things? I've already got them. That just, that's just ridiculous. Isn't that crazy? Dr. Sachs said, one must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. I love that. There's a man in John chapter 3 called Nicodemus. Oh, it's a powerful story with Nicodemus. The Bible says there was a certain man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. I mean, this guy was top of the line. The same came to Jesus at night. Night is another way to say blindness or darkness. He came in spiritual blindness. He, was, he could see physically. The same came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi. He said, we know that you're a, a teacher who's been sent from God. For no man could do the miracles that you do except God is with him. Oh, that we've got for sure. And Jesus responded in verse 3 by saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he said, except a man is born again, watch this now, he cannot see. He said, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know what went right over Nicodemus's head, because the verse 4 he says, how can a man be born when he is old? <laughs> can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And he began to explain to the natural. He said, listen, you got to be born of water, and of the Spirit. He said flesh will give birth to flesh, but he said the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. And in verse 7 he says, Marvel not when I say unto you, you must be born again to get these new eyes. You've got to be born again. This is John chapter 3. And I always, when I read the story of Nicodemus, I always left it pretty much right there, verse 7, verse 8. But that's not where this encounter stopped. Because verse by verse, by verse. Jesus works his way into John 3.16 and Nicodemus was staring at him like a pit bull. That John 3.16 and Nicodemus was the first one that Jesus had quoted that to. He said, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I want you to know something. When Nicodemus heard Jesus say that, that was totally foreign to him. There's no way God could love the whole world. There's no way God could love the people from Galilee. There's no way God could love those Samaritans. We despise those people. Yeah, God loves me, but he couldn't love the whole world. 
And then Jesus continued, he said, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the whole world would be saved. He said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, Nicodemus, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light. You see, light, light, light. That's what the blind man saw. The first thing he saw was light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He said, in the light, the light. People that walk in darkness, they don't like light because it reveals their sin. It reveals how far they fall short. But he said, but he that doeth truth loveth the light and cometh to the light that the works of God might be manifested in him. Oh, man. Nicodemus was educated but profoundly blind. Now, what happened that night? It doesn't say. It doesn't say in John chapter 3 anyway. We work our way through John 4 and John 5 and John 6, and then we hit John 7. I think there's a clue in John 7 what happened to Nicodemus that night or what's going on. I think the cake got baked that night. It's just going to get frosted on another day. There's the festival going on in Jerusalem. It's the Feast of the Tabernacles. Everybody goes to the Feast of the Tabernacles, including the religious people, especially them. And Jesus is there. John chapter 7, it begins in verse 37. And the Bible says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. That same word, krazo, cried, is the same word that that beggar was doing, cried. The Bible says that Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believeth on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And I believe Nicodemus was standing there and watching him and listening to that. And I believe it was right there. It was that moment, I believe, that just really put him over the edge towards Jesus. Because the next time you hear his name mentioned, Nicodemus' name, is in also in that same chapter, John chapter 7. The religious leaders have sent out to capture Jesus and bring him in. The problem is, is when they went to capture him, Jesus was teaching. That was the problem. And so they didn't want to interrupt the teaching, so they thought, well, maybe we'll just listen this one time, see what's going on. And so they listened to all the words of Jesus. And then the Bible says they came back to the religious leader. They said to him, where's Jesus? And their words were, we never heard a man talk like this. We never heard this kind of stuff coming out of anyone. It was love. It was pure grace coming out of him. How do you want us to arrest a man that talks like that? And then Nicodemus spoke up. And he says to his buddies, he says, wait a minute now. Does our law condemn a man before we hear from the man himself? Immediately his friends turned on him. What did you just say? And they said to him, are you one of his followers? Are you one of his disciples? Jesus' disciples? I'm going to tell you something. This message of grace is a bold message. It will divide family. It will divide friends. But you just keep preaching it. They said, what good could come out of Galilee? There's no prophet that can come out of Galilee. <laughs> Nicodemus was probably the first one that just said, I'm just saying. <laughs> then you hear nothing more about Nicodemus. That's John chapter 3. That's John chapter 7 until the 19th chapter of John. Jesus has been crucified. After the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea came to Pilate and said, we don't want his body on the cross overnight. Remember, any man hangs on a cross overnight is cursed. He said, we don't want his body hanging on the cross overnight. 
I want permission to be able to take his body down. Pilate granted him permission. And the Bible says that Joseph of Arimathea, along with Nicodemus, took his body off the tree. The Bible says about Nicodemus that he had 75 pounds of aloes and myrrh. 75 pounds. There are no details in the Bible that are insignificant. Let me just help you on this one real quick. I won't get too carried away. 75 is made up of two numbers, 7 and 5. 7 is the number for perfect rest. 5 is the number for grace. <laughs> and the Bible says they put all that on his body and then they wrapped him. I just heard the Lord even this morning say, you know what? If my people would just wrap themselves in rest, if my people would just wrap themselves in grace, <laughs> there's going to be a resurrection. It's going to just be so beautiful. He wrapped him. You know what that was symbolic of? That was symbolic of he had just did a total defect from that religious system. Believe me, you couldn't go do that. In fact, Jews didn't even like touching dead people. When you get the revelation of Jesus' goodness, it will make you like Nicodemus that basically says, I remember that night, that lonely night when I was doing some soul searching. And I went to this man, Jesus, and he said, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. You know what it made me do? Take off my work clothes. I've been working so hard and he loves the whole world, the ones that aren't even working for him? <laughs> How powerful is that? Nicodemus became a blind man seeing. Blind Bartimaeus, he had a blind man seeing encounter, and he immediately began to follow Jesus. The Bible says he didn't follow a committee, he didn't follow a church, he followed Christ. I've told this story before, but I think it fits right here again. When I first started street ministry, witnessing on the street, I didn't have some big party that I went out with. I went out by myself. And the neighborhood I went into was not the scariest neighborhood of the city I lived into, but it was, it was pretty rough. Most of you would not want to go there. And it was in the summertime, so I didn't have to go bang on a lot of doors. You know, there were people in the yards and in the driveways and on the street and stuff like that. So I just got all them first. But if I walked far enough and worked through all those guys and there was nobody out there, I'd go knock on doors. And I remember this one guy coming to the door. He was a big guy. He was three times the size of me. Yeah, what do you want? And I stood there and I told him about the love of Jesus. And I didn't blink. The first guy I had went to on street ministry, just a, a few days before that, I put the emphasis on church. I started telling him about all about church, come to church, come to church. And when I walked away from that, it wasn't working. When I walked away from that, I heard the Holy Spirit say, don't tell him about church. Tell him about Christ. Church is not going to change your life. Christ is the one that can make a blind man see it. And I remember this guy, and he, he didn't have many words. He just stood there and just kind of took it in as I told him about the love of God. It was two or three years later. I was working at a retail establishment, and that guy walked in. I didn't even recognize him. I waited on him, helped him. And in the course of helping him, he said, do you remember me by chance? I said, I really don't. He said, I was the man that answered the door when you came knocking a couple years ago. And you stood on my porch and told me about Jesus. I immediately remembered it. I said, yes, I do remember you. I do remember you. We didn't get into a big conversation as to what happened in his life and stuff like that. But I'm going to tell you something. He didn't forget the fact. The other guy probably never thought about it a day in his life since then that I told him about church. I mean, how long is that really going to stick to your heart? But this guy never forgot that some skinny little guy like me would take a chance in a bad neighborhood to knock on a door and tell somebody about the love of Jesus. I'm going to tell you something, it works.
It works, and Jesus' ministry was always about that, knocking on the hearts of people, telling them about the love of the Father. Oh, man, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It doesn't come by seeing, does it? No, it comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So, where did blind Bartimaeus get this faith to believe for something like that? Well, if you look at Jesus' early ministry when he first began, let's rewind the tape three and a half years. In chapter 9 of the, of the book of Matthew, he's walking by a tax collector. His name is Matthew. He says, follow me. And Matthew followed him. Right after that, in the same chapter, you see the healing of two blind men. It's not the same story. This was early into Jesus' ministry. There are some similarities. Listen to this account. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, watch this, Have mercy on us, son of David! Does that sound a little familiar? When he had gone indoors, now see, the first time Jesus was out indoors, the second time he was outside, so you start, you start to see the differences. The blind men came into him and asked him, and, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes. He didn't touch Bartimaeus. He just spoke a word. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly. He said, don't tell anybody about what I've done. See, because his ministry was just beginning. He didn't want these throngs of people following him. He had too much to do. So that's why he told the blind man, the blind man there, he said, don't tell people what I've done for you. How are you going to shut up a blind man that can see now? I think it's almost kind of comical. I mean, really? I mean, really? You're going to walk around acting like you're blind when you can really see? And if someone says, I notice you can see now what happened, how are you going to keep from testifying? And the Bible says, they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. <laughs> you see, I, I happen to think about this. It was kind of a comical thought. But I, I thought maybe that's where Bartimaeus, because Bartimaeus uses the same verbiage. When Bartimaeus first heard that story, it could have been a year or two years later or something like that, and I could only imagine going, him saying, you know what, I've got a buddy that's blind. We're both blind. We both sit on the side of the road and shake that little tin can. Oh, but I heard about the other blind men. I read it in, in the Braley News. I read all about it. And when he comes our way, we know how to get his attention. We just simply say, Jesus, Son, Lord, 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 have mercy on us. Can you imagine the level of faith that was in Bartimaeus' heart that day? As he heard it was that man, that man that healed those other two blind men, and they knew exactly what to do, they knew exactly what to say, and they knew, listen, oh, that would increase my faith, wouldn't it, you? <laughs> it would increase my faith. You see, they didn't have eyes to see, but they had ears to hear. And the Bible says when they cried out, this word kradzo, this is a weird interpretation. It means to croak like a raven. I'm like, what? Croak like a raven? And so I went to YouTube. I typed in croak like a raven. Everything's on YouTube, believe me. And so they show this raven croaking. I can't, I can't even do it. I mean, it's, it's a weird noise. If you think a crow bothers you, con, caw, 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 caw. You listen to a raven croaking one time. I want to tell you something. It's annoying. It is annoying. So let me say to you, sometimes when we pray, we think, oh man, that was an annoying prayer to God. He didn't really hear that. It got Jesus' attention when this guy began to croak like a raven. I don't know what it sounded like. But he got his attention because it was mixed with faith. 
I want to tell you something. You don't have to worry about praying perfect prayers because when they filter through Jesus, they become perfect. Believe me, before they hit the Father's ear, they've already went through Jesus. The Bible says He's our intercessor. The Bible says there's one God and one man between God and men. It is the man, Christ Jesus. So everything we do comes through Christ. I've said this before. If you can take dirty water and pour it into a filter, and it, I mean, I'm talking about water that's contaminated with germs and diseases, and you can pour it in. They've got some of the most amazing filters, and they use these things over in Africa. They can take water that would kill you to drink, pour it in these filters like that, and on the other end, it's just as pure as the water can get. If that's true in the natural, how much more true is it in the spiritual? When we pray, Jesus translates it into a perfect prayer. It wasn't pretty. These men weren't trying to be pretty. They weren't trying to be eloquent. They weren't even trying to be religious. They knew what would work. They just wanted to see. And even like I said before, even though Jesus was on his way, it was his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he took time to heal these guys. You know what the word Jericho means? It means his sweet smell. It was a, a place where they, they made perfumes, they made honey, and they made aloes, different things like that. It means his sweet smell. And they were just outside of Jericho when they encountered those blind men. I'm going to tell you something. When faith is rising, it becomes a sweet smell to the Lord. The Bible talks about it being a sweet smell in his nostrils. It becomes a sweet smell to the Lord. It's a walk by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. As they approached Jerusalem and came to, it looks like this word is Bethpage. I've always struggled with this word like Bethpage. I know there's got to be a silent there. It's actually pronounced Bethphage. And they came to Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion. What are you going to say to daughter Zion? Here it comes. See. See. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Did you see this messianic message that's coming to, to them right there? He says, see. They put the comma after see, but I think it should have been after king. It should literally just say, see your king. <laughs> Rather than see, your king comes. I think the comma should have been after king, because that's what we should always do. Be looking to the king. See the king. That scripture comes out of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. I like the build up a lot better. Rejoice greatly. We have reason to rejoice. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. You know, those things go together. I'm telling you, you want to be triumphant in life, see yourself as righteous. See yourself the way Jesus sees you. He comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Symbolically, when Jesus came riding in on that donkey, it spoke of peace. That's what the donkey speaks of. When a king in those days would come riding into a town, if he came riding on a donkey, you knew he was there in peace. If he came on a horse, 
you knew it was wartime. So when you see all these images in the Bible, it's, it, it's painting this picture that Jesus is a peaceful God. He's come in peace. He's the king of peace. He's not there as a war-provoking king. That's what the message of grace does. The message of grace causes blind men to see. Not only dead men to live, but it causes blind men to see that he is compassionate, he is loving, and he is gracious and kind. Blind man, sin. Father, I want to thank you. I've delivered the word just the way you gave it to me this week. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you, Father, as we look into the word of God. We can see layer upon layer, line upon line, thought upon thought, heartbeat upon heartbeat of our daddy in heaven. Father, in Jesus' name, I, I want to thank you. You are just so good. And Father, as we go below the surface of the Scriptures, there's a world. There's a whole new world. There's a big world underneath the Scriptures, underneath the surface. And Father, it's exciting. It's an exciting place to be. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, thank you for loving us as much as you love blind Bartimaeus. Father, thank you in Jesus' name that you're the king of peace. You've not come to pick a war and pick a fight with us. The fight is over. When Jesus was on the cross, the last time the word cried is mentioned, is the Bible says, when he cried, that's that word krazo again, when he cried out, it is finished. He gave up the ghost. You see, Jesus will always have the last word. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you. I speak blessings over your people. Let them receive it with great grace, such grace, blind man seeing grace, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. You receive that word today? You receive it? Amen.